0: Hello, coders. Good afternoon. It's episode 116. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about development environments and um, what they are, Uh, what they are compared to things like uh, testing environments and production environments. Now, I've just noticed the stream bitrate is dropping, (laughs) but we're we're going to continue on because I'm I'm recording this as we go. And this will be used, obviously, for the audio version of this podcast. If you haven't done so already, please do check out the How to Code Well podcast on Spotify and iTunes and all that other podcast players and all that jazz. Uh, so I'm going to continue on. Uh, I do apologize to the chat if, uh, if anyone is uh, seeing any stuttering or anything. I don't know what's going on with the bitrate here. here. Um, okay, so development environments. What are they? What are they? Um, everybody in software development has a development environment and i suppose before we get into the weeds of what what are the tools involved in in creating a development environment i suppose we need to define what is what is the environment compared to other environments and i liken a development environment to say a scientist's laboratory right so a scientist's lab uh, when they're creating a when they're creating some innovations some inventions some i don't know the covid-19 vaccine for instance they do this in a lab right they build this in a lab and it goes through a, a uh, some form of procedure and process and experimentation uh before they actually come up with the the thing the end product now that lab is full of various different tools such as um, microscopes, lots of i don 't know weird and wonderful medical tools, or if it's um if you 're in a in a garage, it could be full of loads of screwdrivers and allen keys and hex keys and you know all sorts of different machinery and stuff to do the thing to build the thing that uh, that goes off to the production line so again you could you could see this in say a production line of a car manufacturer. So if you're manufacturing cars, the end product is the car, but you obviously need to have an environment in order to build that car or those cars, i.e. the production environment. It would go through a series of, of uh, processes and procedures in order to construct the parts for that car, which then build up the full product that then goes off uh, to the public. You don't just go to the public and say, oh, you want this car, then you're going to have to you're going to have, these are all the nuts and bolts that you have to screw together. Um, (laughs) You don't go to the public and say, oh, you want to see this website. Well, before you do, you need to compile all this code and actually build the web server. And before you even click on a page, you know, you have to build, build the thing yourself that the build process is the environment. It is the development environment. So like I said, I liken this to labs or uh, you know construction and engineering sort of environments that build the thing uh, that the end user the the client uh ends up with ends up with and these um these environments they as i mentioned they they have uh sophisticated tools for things like testing so the actual you know the process once you've built the thing you then need to test the thing to make sure it it actually meets uh, a standard uh for it to go out a uh, a production ready as we mentioned in the last podcast so in the last podcast we mentioned production ready and i talked about um what that means so i suppose in this podcast we're we're flipping on its head and talking about from the development perspective and everyone's development um environment is going to be very different from everybody else's everybody's garage is very different from everybody else's or um construction yard is different from everybody else's uh certain engineers prefer certain different tools you know Um, and I am lumping software developers in engineers, you know, we are engineers after all, and we have a huge amount of, of tools at our disposal. Uh, some are free, some are paid for, and that builds the environment that we are, that we are using to construct the thing that we are going to give to our end client. Now, every, now I've been a software developer for about 20 years, two decades, and, um, Uh, I I guess for the last, say, six years, I've been a contractor. And in those years, I've I've every project has had a different environment, a different um, uh, environment for me to to use or my own environment, a local environment. And we'll get get on to the three different types of development environments in just a second. But what I'm trying to say is that just because you've done one project doesn't mean that the next project is going to be exactly the same in terms of your setup, in in terms of your tools. Um, These tools, these build tools, these tools that help you build and develop and debug, uh, they change and evolve over time. Some of them get better. Some of them get worse. Some of them become paid for services. Some of them don't. (laughs) So... um, they, they evolve and change. Uh, and you shouldn't be, you shouldn't just stick to one set of tools. Don't get too comfortable in those tools. Don't be afraid of changing those tools. If those tools that you change to can make yourself more efficient as developing the thing, then, uh, then go, you know, go, go on and change. Don't be afraid to change the tools, uh, just because you're comfortable in the tools that you use. Um so the development environment is also an area for us to do research and development so R&D so we are um basically f- throwing code together to see what sticks we're testing things out we're trialing different things this is as far away from production ready as it possibly can can be so we literally start with just a blank sheet of paper if or or you know in the digital sense it's just a ticket um and that has, you know, build this feature. These are the subtasks of that feature. And then you go away and you try and develop that feature and you try different things out. Um, and you do so in a very iterative way. If you if, if, uh, if, you, if you follow the uh, sort of an XP sort of way, uh, an extreme programmers kind of way, or perhaps you're... Um, your test heavy, you will probably be doing TDD. So uh, test driven development. So you'll be writing the tests first, then, then building the code, then ensuring the code matches and, and uh, makes you'll be making sure that those tests are then, um, verifying that the thing that you've built actually does the thing that that it needs to do. And then you would basically do that on a rinse and repeat uh, and refactor cycle. Um, so yeah i've kind of moved away from my notes a bit, but um, uh, basically the the environment is this journey from um, building nothing or having nothing just a just a specification so you start with absolutely zero code or you start with a code base that you're going to build upon, and then you you create a a um and this is going into the tooling which i I'll delve into more in a minute, but you will create perhaps a feature branch in Git. And that feature branch is your isolated siloed environment, your place, not your environment, your, are basically your code space in which you can then, um, uh, write code, cut code. And then once you're, once you deem that code acceptable and tested, then you would commit that back into, um, perhaps a staging branch Um, which then later on gets committed back into the main branch, the master branch. And that's kind of, and that's how you would, you would roll it. You know, you would have a feature, you would build the feature out, test the feature, and then commit that back into the main sort of uh, timeline, if you will. So the histories then get merged and then that gets pushed off, off to wherever it needs to go, staging, production, and so on and so forth. Um, and this, this journey, uh, has all sorts of different components in it. So formatting, designing, building, um, and these are all done under strict conditions. So for example, if you're doing, um, if, if, if it's all the way back from at, at the point of design, then perhaps you'll have a design system in place that says, you know, these colors, these are the brand colors. These are the brand fonts. This, this is how the grid system, um, is used this is how the buttons should look like all of those kind of components would be built up um, and defined in that well scoped uh, sort of area <laughs> excuse me um, and also you would have in your in your um, in your testing space you would have uh, perhaps CI which is continual integration so you 'll be integrating it into something and that thing that pipeline will be Doing some some code checking, making sure that the code matches a given uh, format, make make sure that the code is up to standard, up to scratch. It might be checking some static analysis and all of that jazz. Uh, checking for s- say security risks, then running through maybe unit tests and integration tests and acceptance tests and and whatnot before it actually gets to the point where you've got a green light and then you can put it back into the into the main history. <clears throat> So as you can imagine, the development environment is incredibly resource hungry because there's all of these additional things that need to happen, um, outside of just building the code. So, you know, all of these auditing tools, all these reporting tools, all of these things, these, these, uh, cogs in the wheel that, that, um, audit and verify your own code. There's also the fact that when you're developing, uh, it, when you're in the development environment, your environment often, uh, Mimics from a very basic point of view what production should look like. So, for example, if you've got um, a database, say MySQL, or if you've got, or and if you've got, say, Elasticsearch, maybe you've got some Redis, some caching, um, maybe you've got some um, Rabbit MQ stuff going on. You would have all of those components in your development environment set to, say, development mode, maybe. And so now you can you can see that your development environment kind of kind of mimics the infrastructure in a very loose sense to what is actually going to be pushed out to production. Otherwise, how how can you develop something when you can't develop when when you don't have a a very similar working environment to what will actually be used? So this, this, um, this means that your development environment needs to be really, really good, <laughs> as in incredibly good with hardware. Um, it needs to be as good as it possibly can do because you don't want to be hitting any bottlenecks. You're essentially creating a mini environment, a mini world that replicates what perhaps production kind of looks like. And you're testing and writing code against it refreshing the page, running scripts, doing all sorts of different things, you know, throwing things at it, testing it, hammering it, trying different, different, uh, user journeys out and all of that stuff. You don't want your hardware being the bottleneck at all. Um, and so this is why I go back to saying like, I will never buy a laptop again that only has 16 gigabytes of RAM, because that is just impossible for me to work on um it needs to be at least 32 coming up to 64 that's why i haven't pushed the button on the new apple uh, m1s because you just can't get a, anything above 16 gigs and in my opinion that's not well i certainly can't use it <laughs> i was going to say that's not professional but you know you can build you can build applications with less RAM, sure, but when you start having when you start working on resource hungry environments, then you really need to start having a laptop or a, a a development environment that packs a punch also and we are sort of dripping down into the tooling and we 'll get more into specifics in a minute also a lot of these um, development environments uh, rely on virtualized environments in order for you to do your work now before we move into that even further let me just say that there's there's three different types of development environments okay and you can actually you can actually intermingle these <laughs> and i've used all of these three th- these three before in various different projects the first one is the obvious one and that is that it is your machine and it's, you know, it's local to you. As in, you pull the code down to your local machine, you are perhaps running Docker containers on your machine, you are running tests on your machine on the code that you write on your machine. It is all on your machine. The second one is where you've got, um, they're kind of like virtualized environments. So these are environments that you connect to and then work on remotely. So for instance, it could be a virtualized environment somewhere that you connect to via a VPN. And, um, that, that, that environment would be set up to replicate some other environment that something is being used the other, you know, maybe it's c- kind of closer to production than what you can do on your local machine. And this is done for various different reasons. Um, So, for instance, if you're working on it for a company and they they prefer to have all of their tools under their own belt, and they prefer that all of their developers are using the same tools, then that having this sort of um, remote access uh is is quite useful because then they they control what is what the developers can actually can actually install and use so for instance if you needed to install some software then you would have to request that software to be installed in your virtualized environment that you log into now you could log into that virtualized environment using something like um ssh or like just a remote desktop or something like that so i've played with that before Um, it's okay. You know, it's, um, there is, there is an extra level of friction because like I said, you have to then request the things that get installed on your, on your virtualized environment. And also you're not actually in control of the virtualized environment. That virtualized environment is owned by, by the company. And therefore it's not as easy for you to just tinker with it. (laughs) If that makes sense. Um, the the ones that i've used that are very good are the ones that can be torn away, scrapped and then replaced very very quickly. So if you screw up your virtual environment, you just request it to be uh rebuilt and it just gets rebuilt from from the fly. Um and that that's really really good because like i said you want to reduce the amount of friction that the uh the developer has to actually develop the tools. So the last one, the third one is, is, is more of a cloud-based kind of interface. So this is where you're using tools that are actually on the web. And this is becoming more of a trend now where you've got say VS code that you can run in the browser, or you've got code. I think it's code. Is it code spaces from, um, from GitHub where you can actually build a development environment in the cloud and then allow people access to it, but through, through perhaps a browser interface. So and, and you can mix all of these up together. You can mix mix these together if you want. Um, so a, a, another example of using cloud based stuff is is like peer programming. So if you're in a if you're remote dev like I am and you're peer programming with someone else, then you would share the screen, right? You would share your screen and you would maybe. And there are tools, especially I know that there's one in I've used it before in PHP Storm, and there is another one I'm sure for VS Code. I'm not a VS Code user, but I'm sure there is one here. Where you can actually do a peer programming session with another programmer and you can share the same um, sh- same same code base and they can play with it and you can play with it almost as though they are sat right next to you um, so and and there's there's various other 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 third party tools and stuff that you can use for that too that's that's more of a sort of a, the cloud an example of a, the cloud based environment setup so for example there I don't necessarily need to have the code base checked out. I could just, um, I could just share someone else's screen and then jump on their stuff. Um, they all have pros and cons, right? They all have pros and cons because the, the, the local one, the traditional one where you, you have a local machine, it's your responsibility and it's, it's expensive <laughs> as a contractor. You, you obviously need to have, you know, As a as a self employed developer, I need to have the tools in order to do the work, right? And this 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 does fall into the whole costing thing, right? So, I I I personally believe that, uh, and this is just my opinion, that if you go out and buy a development machine, regardless of whether you're a contractor or whatnot, but it's more important when you're a contractor, I think. Spend as much money as you possibly feasibly can on the hardware um and don't scrimp on things like ram or 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 disk space right even you know don't don't go oh i'll never ha i'll never use a terabyte so i'll get five five twelve gigs you know or you know thirty two gigs is too much so i'll just bring it spin it down to sixteen no if you can afford it if you can afford it. Get as much as you possibly can for the bat for your buck. And you want to focus, in my opinion, you want to focus on RAM and then uh, CPU and then hard drive space. And that, the reason why I do it in that order is that hard drive space, if you run out of hard drive space, just bung it on an external drive. You know, bung all the things that you don't need on an external drive. I've done that before just to give you enough space. Um, you know... And also and also um, something that is extremely important when you 're a contractor is when you have a your your own local development environment, have that separate to whatever you do as a side project, so whatever you know the hard to code well stuff, I try and keep that as separate as possible. I'm talking now on my Mac mini, which is not anything to do with the client stuff right because that 's just not on during the day, and then the laptop here um has most of the client work on it. And, um, that I try and keep that, I try and keep that separation as much as possible. Um, just because of, of say storage space or anything else, you know, if, if a client wants me to, to install something, then I have to say, yes, of course I will. And it's a working machine. It's, it's a machine for a professional piece of work. Right. This, this is, and, and this, this is sort of a different headspace to being a hobbyist web developer, to being a professional web developer, someone who gets paid, you know, an hourly rate or a daily rate to do something compared to someone who's just building something on the side because they think it's fun and they're interested in it. There's no, there's obviously, you know, that's all well and good and everybody starts like that. Fine. But once you start really getting paid for it, then you really need to make that sort of okay, no, enough's enough now. Let's buy a dedicated machine for our local environment. And you, the thing is, you don't you don't know what your client is going to require until they require it. <laughs> so, so you know, some I've been in conversation where people will say, you know, this is uh, this is hundreds of gigabytes that you need to pull down, you know, you need You need to run this script overnight. And that conversations that made it like half past four in the evening and every, every shop is going to shut. If you don't have that space, you don't have that space, you know, so you want to have uh disk space and Ram in abundance, <laughs> in abundance. And what I like to do is refresh my local environments um, probably once every three to four years And I try and spec them out as, as, like I said, as best as I possibly can when that happens. And you shouldn't really be worried about, I mean, if you're being paid well for what you do, try not to worry too much about the cost because if you're being paid well for what you do, then that's the tool, you know, that's the tool. Try and work out how much the, your tools are per day (laughs) based on what you are. You'll be shocked what you get, you'll be shocked. Okay. So let's talk about the tooling um, that's in the development environment. What what actually are the things in the environment? So the first one um, is an obvious one and that's, uh, or it might not be an obvious one. It is uh, an IDE. Okay. So this is an integrated development environment. Now this, um, you don't have to have this when you're starting out, when you're starting out, you don't have to have an IDE, although I personally Uh, suggest you do because it does give you a lot of um, sugar that you can, um, some sweetener on your code. So it has things like autocomplete. It has connections to say databases. It's got debugging tools. It's got all sorts of like source control stuff. It's got all sorts of good stuff that every developer will eventually need. Um, Also, you've got terminals. All right. So uh, I know that. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I, I'm a Mac guy. I'm a Linux guy. I don't know what Windows, what it's like in the Windows world at the moment. Um, but because, uh, because thankfully, I'm no longer a Windows dev. Woo! Um, but uh, you've got things like the Windows shell, um, and with Mac, you've obviously got Terminal. I use iTerm pers- personally, um, and then Linux, you obviously have the the Bash shell. Uh, okay, so then you've got source control. As I mentioned earlier, you have your, like, your feature branches and your, your main branch, your master branch, and then you've got your fixed branches and release branches and all of that stuff. That's all done in source control, so things like Git. Um, and then you've got, um, say, your database stuff, so you've got a SQL editor. Um, so, I mean, I per- personally prefer to do all my SQL in the command line, but that's because I'm an old Git <laughs> I'm an old guy, um, but, but you could use, say, PHP. Uh, what's the one? What's the PHP at my admin, or there is SQL Pro, or whatever. Um, then you've got your API stuff, so Swagger, you've got P, uh, Postman or Postwoman, um, and then you've got your actual environments on top of your development environment. So you've got your Docker containers, right? So you've got Docker. Or you might be using a LAMP stack, a WAMP stack, a MAMP stack if you're a PHP developer. Um, And then, of course, we haven't even spoken about the actual programming language, right? So you have the language in which you're using. And um, so I'm a PHP developer, for instance, and a JavaScript developer uh, and a Python developer. So I have all of those languages installed, plus all of the versions of those languages installed um, in different, various containers and stuff. And I've got their their um, their various different IDEs set up. So you've got PHP Storm. You could use VS Code. I've got PyCharm for Python. Um, I've also got WebStorm for a bit of JavaScript. Uh, So. Basically, you need to have enough uh, memory and storage for all of this stuff. Don't just think, "Oh, I'm just going to use an I- one IDE and on one terminal with one text editor and 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 on one Docker container." No, that's <laughs> that's not, not going to happen. You need, you know, on on, on a on an average day, I've perhaps got one IDE running, probably six to eight different terminals running. <laughs> Several different Docker containers going. Um, my uh, RAM at the moment is Docker is consuming about 13 gigabytes of RAM, and it and I am in the position where there are things slowing down because of it. Um. So, so I am in the I'm in the current market for an upgrade, and I'm holding out for whether or not Mac decides to bring out a 32 six or 64 gigabyte uh m whatever it is is going to be and when that happens i will certainly drop uh drop drop the bomb on that and um and pick that up if that doesn't happen or if it's incredibly expensive then i'll then i'll have to turn to uh system 76 or some other linux uh sort of setup to to actually just get the get the get the uh get the requirements and the resources that I need. Um, But on that point, you want to be trying to keep your development environment as similar as the other team, as the other members on, on your team. And this can veer off a little bit when you're, um, when you're a remote dev like myself. Uh, So what I, uh, what I tend to do is when I start a project and when I have been given free reign over the, over what tooling I use, I often try and ask what tooling everybody else uses within the team and try and keep it as similar as possible. It just, again, that just avoids friction when you're trying to set something up and you, you have to do it differently to someone else. And you're, you end up asking a question that nobody can answer because you're using a tool that nobody has used (laughs) Uh, to do the same thing that they've done in a different tool. So I would prefer to keep my tools as similar to everybody else's as possible, even if that means sometimes that the tools that I use are actually a pain in the ass. Um, but I do so because I can get help very, very quickly. And, uh, you don't want to be coming. What I'm trying to say here is you don't want to be a lone wolf. You don't want to, you know, so if, if, If the majority of the team are using Mac, then get a Mac. If the majority of team is using Windows, then use a Windows box. Um, You know, all of that sort of all of that good jazz. So we've spoken about what a local environment is, what a hosted environment is and what a cloud based environment is. And as I mentioned, you can use those. You can you can mix and match if you want on on those. Uh, We've spoken about the, uh, loosely costings of these things, try and spend as much as you possibly can as, you know, as comfortably as you can on these things. And as I said, I try and refresh every three to four years. And, um, I, I, what I don't want to do is say, you know, spend a huge amount of money on, on something and then find out in two years time that it is super, super sluggish and slow. So that's why I try and go for as much as I possibly can at the time. Um, and 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 drop that so ram cpu and then storage as i've mentioned here um, so lots of ram lots of uh, cpu and lots of storage space if possible if you're going if you're a windows guy or girl and you're thinking and you're tempted to going for a mac yeah the screen's great you've got um uh retina displays and all that jazz yeah they're better than windows boxes but if you're if you're if you have to make a compromise between a display and ram or cpu or storage space don't <laughs> because all we're doing if you're if you're a back-end developer then what you're mostly doing is just typing as in text so it doesn't really matter if the shades are slightly different on the colors of the website there you know it's less important to a back-end developer than it is on a front-end developer who actually you know is working very closely with the designer and the css and all of that stuff if you're purely back end then and then don't make the compromise just to get a better screen uh if you if you're having to weigh up whether to go with ram or whether to get a retina display um see that as a benefit if you you know or or a you know a, an unexpected benefit if you if you can um the thing is these these Macs they 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 are they are good but there's a lot about them that you don't necessarily need. <laughs> and anyway, what I usually do is I plug my uh, I plug my laptop into this huge screen that I've got here. <laughs> so, you know, it, the the ratio's all gone anyway. <laughs> the resolution is very, very different. Um, yeah. So we talked about the differences between, um, the development environment and say, uh, production. We mentioned that product, you want to try and keep it as close as possible, but obviously you're in development mode. This means that you're going to be doing things with caching turned off with various different things, uh, debugging tools turned on. Okay. So as you may have seen when i 've done my live stream my live coding on things like um, the e commerce shopping cart that we 're building at the moment, Silas uh, using symphony that 's all in development mode and that 's incredibly incredibly slow. But as soon as I put it into production mode it 's incredibly fast and that 's because of the caching and all of that other 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 things that you that get turned on when you get into production mode. Um, and it's the same for front-end devs as well. They have a different setup um, from development and production. In production, a lot of their code is minified, uglified, and compressed. Whereas in development, it's not, <laughs> obviously, and therefore their file sizes are much bigger. Their their um, their request uh, HTTP requests are huge compared to what it is on production, um, and therefore they need to have the the uh, resource to allow them to do that and manipulate things on the fly. Um, so, yeah. I hope I haven't missed anything out, but if there, if I have done, please do let me know. Um, jump on Twitter at HowToCodeWell. Also, if you haven't done so already, please do check out our Discord server. It's uh, HowToCodeWell.net forward slash Discord. It's totally free to join. There is sections in there for, say, coding help and, uh, project feedback. I've also got a bunch of, um, uh, channels in there for, for things like, you know, the notifying when these live streams are going on and other bits and pieces like that too. Uh, we've recently, <laughs> we've recently had a spammer and I just want to say a massive thank you to, uh, the community for, uh, pulling that out, and I you know that 's been completely banned that that uh, spammer has been totally banned uh, so it 's a nice community to check out if you 're new to programming, then do join because there 's a lot of people there that can give you help and advice, and also if you have a suggestion for uh, upcoming videos, podcasts, tutorials, courses that I do on how to code well, then there is a suggestions channel on Discord too. Anyway, thank you ever so much for watching. Happy coding, everybody. And I hope the bitrate hasn't been too bad today. Uh, I will, um, I'm obviously recording this as well as streaming this. So I'll be using the recording, not the stream version, to do the podcast, which goes out every Friday. Thank you very much. Happy coding, everybody. And I'll see you again soon. Cheers. Bye-bye.